are in week five. This is the fifth message in our series on the scarlet thread of redemption, which is talking about the blood covenant. I'm telling you what we're what we've learned so far, and it's gonna keep, we're gonna keep pounding this because it's not enough for it to just dawn on your mind. We want to get this deep in your spirit. The God of heaven has cut covenant with us. You're in covenant relationship with the God of heaven who is your dad, right? And what that means is everything that he is, everything that he has, he has given to you. Wow. You know, we've been talking about the Abrahamic covenant. And you see how this covenant with this man, Abraham, I mean, remember we said this, aerial view of the book of Genesis. I mean, 11 chapters covers 2,000 years of history that includes the creation and all kind, Noah, all this stuff. And then the last 39 chapters literally deal with the man, Abraham, and three of his generations. Then you go throughout the whole Old Testament and you see it talk about his physical descendants. And then we jump into the New Testament, and the whole New Testament talks about his spiritual descendants, the church, which is us. It's kind of amazing. I want to encourage you, go back. Go back and listen to these messages. Outline them. Take notes. Underline these scriptures in your Bible. Because the reason why we preach this is so that you may know that you know that you know that the God of heaven, if he spoke it, he'll perform it. If he said, by the stripes of his son, or, or literally by the bruise of his son, you and I were healed, then guess what? That's in stone. That cannot be changed. If he said he would bless you financially, which he says it all over the book, that's not subject to debate. The reason why you could know that you could put all your trust in the Lord. And what that means is all my trust is in him and it's not in anyone or anything else is because we blood has been shed. Covenant has been made. It is unbreakable because the guarantor of this covenant is not me and it's not you, it's Jesus. Right? Isn't that amazing? So let's look at this again today. Let's keep going with this. Last service, we were in Ephesians chapter 2, so go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, and I want to just talk about now the blood covenant that Jesus established. We, we, we looked at verse 11 and 12, I think we finished up with that, and th those verses are amazing, but we got to keep going to really get the gist of this. So Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, it says, remember, wherefore remember that you being in times past Gentiles in the flesh. So this is talking about us before we were saved, before we received Christ. This is also talking about anyone who is alive on the earth today that has never received Jesus into their heart and been born again and made new. This is literally the position they're in right now. For us, this is the position we were in. Wherefore, remember that you being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called 
the circumcision, right? Remember, we talked about circumcision last time. Blood, it was the old covenant. It was a sign in the old covenant for the Jews. It separated them from everyone. Blood was shed. They were circumcised. And we, we talked about, remember, the circumcision that happened with us. As a New Testament believer, when you receive Christ, you are circumcised spiritually, right? So before you accepted Christ, your flesh and your spirit were one. They were connected. You, you could not ever have dominion over sin. It would have dominion over you because this death, this spiritual death nature in your flesh and in your spirit took you captive. You were in the world without God, without hope, and you could, it was, all these, all these Greek words are in the locative tense. We could not ever be good enough to break this. We were lost. But then, when we hear the gospel of salvation, and all of a sudden, we sit here and go, oh my gosh, Jesus is my Lord. He's my answer. And we come to him, and we say, listen, Lord Jesus, I believe you died on a cross for my sin. I believe that your father raised you from the dead and you're seated as Lord of all, right at the right hand of your father. And right now, because of that, I believe that so strongly. I'm committing my life to this and I invite you to be my Lord. And when you invite him into your life to be your Lord, the Holy Spirit of God comes on into the inside of you your, your, your earth suit here, and he literally cuts or circumcises your old dead spirit away from this flesh nature, and then he removes it. Where does that old dead spirit go? The Bible says old things pass away. It's gone forever. And then he puts a brand new spirit in your physical body, but now it's no longer connected. Your heart has been, it's a circumcision of the heart. So now that's why Romans chapter 6 says you have to reckon yourself to be dead to sin. Reckon was an accounting term. It was a mathematical term. So you reckon a problem, right? If, if, and I, I always use Pastor Ed when I kind of throw him under the bus because he's a mathematical genius. I remember one day in a men's Bible study, and I've done it here, and I've asked him, Maybe, maybe you've got it right now. I'll ask you again. So could you tell me what X plus Y is? So he has a PhD in biochemistry. I'm telling the principal of your school. This guy, you can't even tell me X plus Y. But what if I gave him information that would allow him to reckon this problem? Information, knowledge. And I said, X is two and Y is three. Could you now reckon that problem? Five. He couldn't do it if he didn't have knowledge. So Romans chapter six tells us, now that we're born again, it tells us what we need to know to reckon ourselves dead to sin. This is how you walk free from all sin. You gotta know this. Revelation knowledge that I was, what? Crucified with Christ right? I was buried with him in baptism. This is Romans chapter 6. I was raised to a new life. 
newness of life, brand new creature in Christ. I'm identified with his crucifixion. I am identified with his resurrection. And now, because of that, sin will never have dominion over me again. Because now, I have to choose sin to do it. Because it doesn't have dominion over me. It's because of that circumcision that this is talking about. So let's keep going. Let me read this again. Wherefore, remember that you being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision in the flesh made by uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. Verse 12, that at that time before you were born again, you were without Christ being aliens. This Greek word means being a non-participant from the commonwealth of Israel. You were a non-participant. The commonwealth, that Greek word literally means the citizenship of Israel. So in other words, you had no citizenship. Okay? Then it goes on, and you were strangers from the covenants of promise. So not only did you have no citizenship, but you had no covenant with God. That's before we were saved. Okay? Keeps going. Having no hope and without God in the world. And we said this, and never forget this, this is the way it is. If there's no citizenship, therefore what? You have no covenant, therefore you have no hope. Right? And it keeps going here, and therefore you are without God in the world. This is, this is huge here. But that's not us anymore. Because we are citizens. We're actually sons and daughters of God. We have a covenant, which means our future is filled with hope. Why? Because we have God. All that he has, all that he is, he's given to us. Isn't that amazing? So verse 11, verses 11 and 12, they describe the complete hopelessness of all Gentiles before Jesus opened the door of salvation to them, or us, we could say. Paul, now, this is Paul. He wrote this. The Holy Spirit breathed this. So Paul, or the Holy Spirit, is linking the separation from the covenant of God with being without God in the world. No covenant, no God. You have to be in covenant. That's how come David, when he faced Goliath, the one thing he never talked about was how big he was. Because he wasn't looking at that. He was looking at, I have a covenant with God who is much bigger. So David is like, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? He was saying, it doesn't matter. He has no covenant with God. So he, he's mine, Right? Because God will deliver him in my hand because I have a covenant with him. In the same way, you as a New Testament believer go, listen, and you're going to see this. Man, I could teach on this for a year about how, because the children of Israel were in covenant, there was no sickness and disease unless they disobeyed. Because sickness and disease had no legal right in their bodies as covenant people 
that were in covenant with God through Abraham, right? We, we talked about Wednesday night, the woman with the spirit of infirmity. She was bowed over for 18 years. And Jesus is like, shouldn't this woman whom Satan has bound for 18 years be loosed? She's a daughter of Abraham. How much more you and I, as children of God, listen, don't put up with sickness and disease in your body. Your blood work has to come in line with the word of God. Your, your joints, your nerves, your back, your knees, your hips, all the diseases, they are not to be in your body. God has cut covenant and provided healing for you. So no citizenship, therefore no covenant, right? Therefore no hope because you're without God. Verse 13, but now, so now let's get into some good stuff here. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were sometimes afar off, who's that? The Gentiles are made nigh. This word nigh, it literally means it, it means to come into oneness in time and place. See, we think of nigh, if you look at a Strong's Concordance, it will say near. But listen, you are not near to Christ, you are one with him. This Greek word is oneness, right? How? By the blood of Jesus. You have been redeemed by his blood. When he paid that ransom for you, that blood paid for you to get out of the delegated influence of darkness. You were born again by the incorruptible seed of the word of God, and you were placed in the kingdom of God. Now, we live in the world system, but we live in the kingdom in the world. Whole different set of rules. And this phrase, you who were afar off are made nigh, or were made nigh. I love that. These are all figurative just terms that are describing our relationship with God. Wow. See, now, after salvation, the God of heaven never leaves you, and he will never fail you, and he will never forsake you. If he said it, he will do it. If he spoke it, he will bring it to pass. And his spirit on the inside of you, as Pastor Dave even said, he reveals to you the things that God has freely given you. What is that? Everything that pertains to life and godliness. Blessed with all spiritual blessings. Do you know there's not a spiritual blessing in heaven that you don't own? Because everything that God has is yours. Isn't that amazing? It makes everything fit when you understand covenant. Verse 14. For he is our peace, who hath made both one. What does that mean, made both one? The cross made the Jews and Gentiles one. Regardless of race, regardless of gender, right? Regardless of their social status, we're all one. Why do you think that Satan stirs up racism everywhere because God has provided for all of us to just be one, right? I think it's in Romans chapter 12. I can't remember the verse. It tells you exactly what God thinks of race. This is what he says, for there is no difference. 
for God is rich unto all that call upon him. It says there's no difference between the Jew and the Gentile. Well, what do you mean? No, the Gentile, that's every race but Jewish. See, we've all been made one. Isn't that amazing? We've been made one. For he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. This is even talking about the partition that was between us because of sin and this sin nature, right? It's amazing what they say when a Muslim in the Middle East gets saved. Do you know one of the first things that happens to them is they love Jewish people? Why? Because they're born again, right? I've talked to people that, that, have, that have said, well, you know, I just don't see race. And I, I'm like, I do. I love it. Right? I mean, it's all, God has all these different race and cultures and everything. And if you study so many of them, man, all of them, they point right to Jesus. It's so wonderful. In the New Testament church, there is no Jew and there is no Gentile. There are only new creatures in Christ Jesus. Verse 15, having abolished, this means he completely abolished this. This Greek word means he rendered it idle and useless. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity. He abolished, this word enmity means hatred. He abolished the hatred between Jews and Gentiles in his flesh. Isn't that amazing? Notice all this stuff happened in the body of Jesus on the cross. It says, even the law of commandments, what? Contained in ordinances for to make in himself of two, that's Jew and Gentile, the hatred between God and man because of sin, it deals with that too. One new man, what is the one new man? It's called the church, it's you and I. So making peace. This is what Jesus did. Jesus abolished in his flesh the barrier between God and man, right? There was a barrier because of sin, because of spiritual death. Man could never, he was eternally separated from God, and now that's all removed. In the age of the dispensation of grace, the church age right now, the only thing between any man or woman and God, the only thing between them is Jesus. I don't care what they've done. God is literally going, I'm not accounting anyone's sins against them right now. Isn't that amazing? The Old Testament law had many ordinances, but combined they made one law. Failure to comply with any part of the law, you were guilty of all the law. Because all of these ordinances, everything together made up one law. So if you were guilty in one thing, you were guilty of the whole thing, right? Doing away with any one point of the law was doing away with all the law. But you got to see this. The purpose of the law always was and continues to be to show our sin and lead us to a savior. 
The whole Old Testament law was literally to show them there is no way you could ever do enough or be enough to be accepted by a holy God. You need a Messiah. You need a Savior. That's why we call it the scarlet thread of redemption. The Bible is not two books, Old, Old Testament and New Testament. It's one book, and it's a love story. Everything in the Old Testament was all about Jesus so that when he showed up on the scene, everybody would know him, right? So then, then we come and we see the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're like a photograph of Christ. We see Christ. We see how we're to live because as he is, so are we in the world. Then we go into the epistles and they're like an x-ray or an MRI, we not, we not just see Christ now, now we see into him and we see ourselves in him. So you better live in the epistles because you need to learn how to walk this stuff out. And Ephesians is one of these epistles. We are literally seeing into Christ. You are seeing what happened 2,000 years in his body. I love that. And that he might reconcile, verse 16. Look at this. And that he might reconcile... It literally means that he might change something by an exchange, that he might set up a peace that was not existing before. I love that. Both Jews, or both, talking about Jews and Gentiles, unto God in one body, that, which is the church. How did he do that? By the cross, having slain the enmity. He's, on the cross, Jesus slain the hatred thereby. Wow. Thereby. What does that mean? It's a little vague in the King James. It means he, in his body, he slew the hatred in his body, in himself. So the barrier between God and man, literally, it, it's done away with. There is no barrier anymore. Isn't that amazing? Wow. The Old Testament law, as though it has been killed, because it no longer applies to those who seek to be justified by God through faith. I'm so glad I don't have to keep the whole law. I've been given a new law. And we'll talk about this because this is very important. Do we live by law? What is our law? It's the law of love and it's the fulfillment of all the Old Testament. This is why for a Christian, you want, to take, you want to take advantage of the benefits of your covenant that you have with God, you better walk in love, right? Forgiveness is not an option. You run to forgiveness. Working out your own salvation and not working out anybody else's salvation is not an option. You stay in love. D doing good to those that despitefully use you is not an option because we, have to, we keep the law of love. And the grace of God empowers us to do that. Verse 17. Well, I can tell you this. Brother Hagen talked about this so much. There's really two, I, I would say three reasons. But really the one reason kind of fits in the two. Many Christians are sick. Why? Because they don't know that healing's been provided for them. They just don't know that or they don't believe that right? Which under that, you can say they're not rightly dividing the body of Christ. 
right? In communion, the Bible, it's the only, in the book of James, or I'm sorry, in the book of 2 Corinthians, it's the only place where God ever mentions a reason why a believer should die, be sick or die early. And it's because they're not discerning the Lord's body. What does that mean? Number one, you discern that your body belongs to God, right? Number two, you discern that you are part of the body of Christ. So I'm, I'm just not Pastor Edwin and Lisa's good friend. We're one. If they're hurting, I'm hurting, right? If they need help, I'm there. If everybody leaves them, I'm still there. Why? Because we're one, right? So you gotta discern that my body belongs to God, that I am part of the body of Christ, right? I know that, that sometimes we as charismatics, we get a little bit prideful and think we know so much more than you know, our Baptist brothers, or our, but you know you're one with them, right? So, so we've got to understand that, and we have to discern that Jesus, you gotta discern his body. His body was broken to bring healing to you, right? So there's some things here. But it says that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain uh, thereby, or slain the enmity thereby. Wow. And he came, verse 17, and preached peace to you who were afar off. Who is that? That's the Gentiles. But he also preached peace to them that were near, nigh. Who's that? The Jews. Jesus, in other words, he became the door whereby everyone can now come to God on the basis of faith in what Jesus had done for them alone. All, all the dividing was taken away. The veil was torn. Everybody could just come to God now. Verse 18, for through him, through Jesus Christ, we both have access. This means admission. We have admission by one spirit unto the Father. Through him, we both have access. We both what? Jews and Gentiles. Have access to God. Isn't that amazing? By one spirit, the Holy Spirit gives us access. I love that. Jesus shed his blood so that we could be admitted into the very presence of the Father. Wow. The sinner who's spiritually dead comes and the Holy Spirit allows them access to the Father. Aren't you glad? When I was a little boy in Chicago, Illinois, in our two-bedroom apartment on Giddings and Austin Street, when I walked up to my mom and said, Mom, I want to receive Jesus today. I was in Sunday school and I saw the little felt board thing, probably a Betty Lucan thing about Jesus, and I said, I want to receive Jesus as my Lord. I'm so glad that when we prayed, the Holy Spirit gave me access and I was made new. And now, here I am, 50-some years later, still learning all that that means. And it just, it just it blows me away. Verse 19, now, now, what's it talking about? As a born-again believer, Therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but now you are a fellow citizen with the saints 
and of the household of God. So now I am a citizen. I have a covenant. I have hope. And I have God. Wow, so do you. Paul uses two metaphors in describing both Jews and Gentiles' new position with God. He calls them fellowship or fellow citizens with God's people. And it says the second one is of the same household. Wow, we're all family. Isn't that amazing? Those who are now united with Christ through the new birth are actually one with God. Isn't that wild that you're one with God? Why in the world would you ever think that he would ever have a promise that he made you and say no? That's why this whole thing about God heals some and not others, God blesses some and not others, that doesn't come just against the doc, some of these doctrines. It comes against his character and his nature. God didn't come. Jesus didn't come and just die for the sins of those that he knew would accept him. No, it says the sins of the whole world. God, God loves everybody. I mean, at the great white throne judgment, at the end of it all, when all the people who've ever lived who rejected Christ and they, they pull them out of hell and they stand before God, they will be judged for every sin that they've ever committed. And they will stand there and be judged for it right before they are thrown in hell forever, the lake of the second death, right? And they will stand there, and the Bible says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. They're not made to bow. These Greek words mean they will bow. Why? Because as they stand there being judged, they're still going to see the love that God has for them. So much so that the all-knowing all God says, hey, open the book one more time. Let me just make sure their name is not is in there, maybe by mistake. He doesn't want anybody to be lost. And all of these people are going to stand there and they're going to know that Jesus paid for every sin. They just chose to live their own life and they're going to realize they never lived their own life. There's not one human being that lives his own life. God never made man to live his own life. You and I don't live our own life. We live, we have Zoe life, the very life and essence of God. Well, what is that? God's life is the three who are one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They all work together. God comes up with the plan Jesus carries out the plan. The Holy Spirit reveals the plan. When Jesus is on the earth, here he is, the creator of all things, and he's saying, I don't say what I want to say. I only say what I hear my father say. I don't do what I want to do. I just do what, he, what I see him doing. People are like, wow, Jesus, these miracles are amazing. And he says two times in one chapter, hey, it's not me. It's the father that's doing it. Then Jesus is going to heaven, and he goes, listen, go to Jerusalem Terry there, don't try to go out and do something before you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit when you have him come upon you. But when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he's going to lead you into all the truth. And then he says this. Now listen, he won't speak of himself ever. He's God, but he doesn't speak of himself. Have you ever had the Holy Spirit go, hey, let me tell you something about me? Nope. He always speaks what? 
Whatever he hears, that will he speak and show me things to come. What does he hear? He hears what Jesus says, and he always testifies of Jesus. So naturally, now Tony's on the earth, right? And we watch Rocky movies, and we think, okay, I'm going to be Sylvester Stallone, and I'm gonna do, I can do this on my own. You're not made to do it on your own, right? I've watched one of the Expendable movies that have all these guys, now that they're 400 years old, they're still in shape. And, and, you know, and, and everybody with money now, the older people, remember them when they were younger, so they go see these movies. And if there's one thing that's clear in the one movie I saw years ago, they are messed up. Their lives are all a mess. And this is Hollywood. You would think they would try to portray that. Listen, I'd rather have the peace of God than 18-inch biceps. And divorced and not know my kids. And, you know, I mean, right? With no hope, with no citizenship, with no covenant. I'd rather just, just get in shape and know God. Fellowship with God while I'm doing a bicep curl, right? Lord, help me, right? I mean, you know, depending. (laughs) Ephesians 2.19, now... Therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but your fellow citizens with the saints of the household of God. Wow. So now jump over to, jump over to Galatians. Galatians chapter 3. Let's start in verse 6. Are you guys doing okay? This is so thrilling, and we're going to keep saying the same thing over and over and over, different ways with different scriptures so that you can get it right? I mean, think about it. You don't come here and say, well, you know, don't, don't go through the same thing. It's kind of like, now I'm not a cook, so maybe, sweetheart, you could help me. So it's kind of like if the word of God was a potato, right? Well, you could make a baked potato. You could do scallop potatoes. You could do a, now I don't know how to cook any of this stuff. But I, oh, a baked potato I could probably do. I think you just wrap it and put it in a microwave. But um, yeah, you got to stab it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you stab it. Yeah. I've done the other thing. You only do that once. Yeah. Because cleaning out that microwave is not fun. Um, okay, stay with me. Stay with me, okay? I'm trying to, I'm kind of getting out of my comfort zone. So I'm looking at my wife. I think there's, yeah, Brussels sprouts have nothing to do with this sermon today. So. We can do what, is it like uh, a potato casserole? You could do potato soup. That's kind of what we do. We take faith, we take righteousness, we take the blood covenant, and we just serve it up different ways. You don't just go eat a potato and go, I'm never going to eat that again. Right? That's, that's, what, that's what word of faith people do. Oh, I know that Mark eleven twenty four stuff. Really? Because I'm looking at your life. It doesn't look like you really know it. Or it at least looks like you could probably grow in this area. Right? Anyway, going on. Galatians chapter 3, verse 6. I don't want to have you guys repeat after me. I love my pastor, right? Because if you don't, you just need more information. Because that's all, that's all you need. Galatians chapter 3, verse 6. It says, even as Abraham believed God, Abraham was made righteous. He was justified by faith. And it was accounted. That means it was imputed to him for righteousness. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same 
are the children. This word children means the legitimate sons of Abraham. Wow. Abraham's, I'm a legitimate son of Abraham. I was made righteous. How was I made righteous? Through faith. How was he made righteous? Through faith. Right? Look at this, verse 8, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, what is it, what did it just say? And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith. Did God's word, did, did this scripture just say that God's word is the foundation of all things? That's exactly what it just said. So if it's not in the Bible, I don't care what it is, right? If it's not, if it doesn't, if it doesn't line up with the word of God, I'm not focused on it. I'm going to give it no place in my life because the word of God is the foundation of all things. Let me read this again. And the, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith preached before the gospel unto Abraham saying, in thee all nations shall be blessed. Now this is quoting Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. Verse 9. So then, they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. Wow. And everybody who has to deal with money in your life said, Amen. Everybody who has to deal with any kind of sickness or disease or just body parts wearing out is going amen. Because this, this guy had a child at 100 years old. Actually, he had six more by the time he was 120. Proving forever that when God heals your body, Satan can't come back and take that away from you. Oh, don't get me off on that. You'll have to come Wednesday night laying hold of your healing. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. Wow. Put 1 John chapter 5, verse 4 up. Look at, look at what this says in this context. 1 John 5, 4. Don't turn there. Just hang here and we'll just read it. Look at this. Now, you're not a whatsoever. You're a whosoever right? For whosoever, that's the Greek word, is born of God overcomes the world. That's, that's the word for world system. The world system that we live in, right? Satan has authority or not, not, he doesn't have authority over the church, but he's the God of this world system. His lease is almost up. That's why he's getting a little nervous, right? So it says, whoever's born of God overcometh. This is in the continual present tense, which means whoever's born of God continually overcomes the world system, and this is the victory that overcomes the world system. It's our faith. So when you believe that Jesus instituted an eternal, eternal jubilee and instituted the legal right for debt cancellation in your life, you get pretty excited. 
When you read in the word of God that he, Jesus was made poor on the cross so that you through his poverty might come into a full and overflowing supply and be rich. When you read that my God will meet all of my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus, that's a reality because right now this is telling us. Galatians 3, right? Verse 9, it says it right there. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. Look at verse 13. Christ hath, past tense, when did he do this? He did it on the cross. Hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. Jesus redeemed us from the curse that came on man when man disobeyed God's word. Being made a curse for us. Jesus was made a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. He was made a curse on that cross. That's Deuteronomy 21-23 if you're taking notes. Why did he do that? Verse 14, so that the blessing of Abraham. This word blessing means a liberal pool of resources to help and bless others. More than enough for you, so much more that you just are blessing others. You're to be a storehouse to help others. And guys, we're living at the end of the church age. Christians, part of your witness is going to be you're going to be a storehouse financially for some other people. The blessing is an endowment of power from God that produces good things in your life that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ and that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. See, God did something in us. He made us new so that he could put something on us, the blessing of Abraham. And the blessing of Abraham, you know how many believers? If you're a believer today, the blessing of Abraham is upon you. And it will make you rich. It'll bring you into a full and overflowing supply of material wealth. The blessing will do that. But as we see in the Old Testament, the blessing of the Lord makes rich, but he adds no sorrow to it, so there's no toil. But not only will it do that, the second part of that, it'll make your name great. In other words, it'll increase your influence on the earth. Why? So that you can be a blessing. That's on you. Do you know you could file bankruptcy and lose everything with the blessing of Abraham on you if you don't believe it and walk in it? So I want to encourage you to do that. If you're in financial trouble today, smile, get real happy because you are on your way out. Right? I mean, I, the stories that you could tell of families would be amazing. So look at this. Let's look at verse 26 because I want to finish this up right and really show you some things in this passage. Galatians 3.26, for we or for ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you, oh, that really messes with those people that are so foolish as to think that women cannot be ministers. 
right? Are you kidding me? Thank God for women ministers, right? Because, you know, us guys, we, we tend to mess things up. But there's no difference. And some of these scriptures in the New Testament, it's really funny when you say, yeah, a woman can't be a pastor or a woman can't teach or a woman can't do this. You're sitting here going, what Bible are you reading? Oh, yeah, you're reading the Bible, but you're not rightly dividing it, right? This is a big scripture right here. There's no male nor female. Wow. I could meddle. I'm just not going to do it. I don't have time. There we go. <laughs> Verse 29, look at what it says. And if you be Christ's, are you Christ? Yes. Then you're Abraham's seed and you are heir to all of this. Yes. Wow. You're heirs according to the promise. So now if this wasn't good enough, let, now we're going to turn up the heat a little bit. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews 6.12, it says this, that you be not slothful. Have you ever watched, what was that movie? Zootopia. You have to live in California to understand the magnitude of that. When you walk in a DMV and all that works there are sloths. Because when you go to the DMV in California, you're there all day. Every time I go to the DMV here, I thank them. I'm like, you guys are rock stars. I've, I've been here for 20 minutes, 10 minutes, right? So slothful means lazy. That you be not slothful or lazy, but be a follower of followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Here's a roadblock to the faith walk. An environment of instant gratification. Because you obtain the promises through faith and patience. Have you ever been in a line at Starbucks or Scooters or a fast food and you're sitting here going, I've been here for like five minutes. Dude, you're going to get a dinner in like five minutes. We're so used to instant gratification. And then we go watch movies, you know, especially if you get into the Hallmark thing. I mean, you know, within an hour and a half, this person goes from their life stinks to they meet their love. Now it falls apart 10 minutes before, but you know it's going to come back. But in an hour and a half, these people's lives are changed and we, and we watch this and we constantly, we hear all this stuff and we get into this instant gratification thing and then we miss it spiritually, right? Patience what is it? It's a spiritual force. It will come out of your spirit and it will undergird your mind and keep your mind on the word of God and not on the circumstances until faith will bring your answer through it because the word is growing in your heart. You grow your healing, you grow everything. But, it, but patience will keep your, it'll give you the ability supernaturally to not be moved and let go of your faith because of circumstances. So if you're asking the question, you know, so I I, I'm in faith, but it's just not happening and I don't know why. The reason why you don't know why is because you're not in faith. Right? Have you ever had God come to you before? Jesus came to me one time. We're believing God for a building. And after nine days of just really praying, going, God, we gotta, I got to know. 
he goes, he finally speaks to me. First of all, I'm needing, I'm needing him to talk to me about a building for our church. So he's talking to me about my family, about being a husband. He, he just, God doesn't get stressed out about anything. It's like, Father, that's awesome, but can you please? And then finally he goes, Tony, you're not even in faith. You know, I'm, I'm thinking I'm believing God, right? And he's like, you're not even in faith. You're just looking at this building because you think that's something the congregation could afford. He goes, what's your heart telling you? And the minute he said that, it was like this word settle just came out. And I'm like, oh. it, was, it was always there, right? Faith, faith lays hold and never lets go because you have your answer. It's your victory. So let's look at verse 13 of Hebrews chapter 6. That was kind of like a commercial break. It says, For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could not swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, multiplying I will multiply thee. Now he's quoting Genesis 22, verses 16 and 17. And so after he had patiently endured... After he had patiently endured, what's it talking about? The, the distance of time between the promise that God gave Abram to when he possessed it and Isaac was born. Okay? He obtained the promise. For men, verse 16, verily swear by the greater and an oath for confirmation. That word confirmation means they'll swear an oath for a contract. Is to then an end of all strife. Wherein God, verse 17, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability, this means the unchangeableness of his counsel. This word counsel means his plans, his purposes, his motives, his intention, and his will. God did things to show that his purpose, his intentions, his motives are unchangeable. God's not moved by the fact that you've been disobedient. It's still, his promise is still right there for you. All you got to do is get over yourself and stop beating yourself up and just pick it up because it's yours, right? The unchangeableness of his counsel, look at this, confirmed it by an oath. He confirmed it by a guarantee and a promise. Every word in here is God. It, it, it's God speaking to you, and it, none of this is subject to change. The immutability of his counsel means the unchangeableness of his word. God never changes. His word never changes. Isn't that good news? Wow, you could bet your everything on that. Verse 18 that by two immutable or unchangeable things, what are the two things? His counsel and his covenant, which would include his oath, in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation. See, God's saying, listen, because it's impossible for me to lie, everything that I'm saying to you everything that I've done to cut covenant with you, everything in my word is not subject to change. And he did this so that we might have a strong consolation. 
Well, that's awesome, Pastor, but what in the world does consolation mean? Right? It might mean something to some King James guy, but right? This word consolation in the Greek means that we might have a strong assurance that we might strongly be comforted. When you're believing God and you don't see it in the natural, literally, knowing that God's word is unchangeable will comfort you. Tony, you are healed. You've laid hold of it. The healing power of God's working in your body. Your financial life is changing. I'm working, right? This word also means that you'll have a strong encouragement and a strong exhortation. Do you know God will, this is what the Holy Spirit will do. He will encourage you, don't let go. Don't believe any of these circumstances. You believe my word. He will exhort you. I mean, I'm telling you, he will help you. When God exhorts you, this is what happens to you. He's exhorting and encouraging, and what comes out of you is worship. Father, I thank you. I praise you. Your word is true. This word also means a calling near. When you know God's word is true and what he said he did is done and it'll never change and he'll never pull it from you, what will it do? It calls you near to him. And this word lastly means it's a refreshing when God calls you near, you get refreshed. So this verse refers to a guilty person feeling or fleeing to the one of the cities of refuge in Israel. This is what this is given a picture of. When a person was guilty, they would flee to a city of refuge where they would be safe. In effect, he was fleeing to the high priest who's offered atonement for him and for his sin. This is in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 42. This verse is about how a picture in the Old Testament, a guilty person would run to a city of refuge to his priest who had made atonement for him. Are you seeing a parallel here? This is a type of us fleeing to our high priest, Jesus Christ, who didn't cover our sins with his blood, he gave his flesh, he gave his blood so that our sin would be washed away. Now you are safe. That's why the Bible says he is your refuge. Wow. See, it's impossible for God to lie. All scripture is an exhortation. All scripture is an admonition. It's an encouragement for the purpose of strengthening and for the purpose of establishing the believer in the faith. That's why I love the fact that our church is called Faith Family Church. We'll always preach faith. Because I'm telling you, God is faithful. Verse 19, which hope we have as an anchor for our soul. My soul is anchored in the word of God, which cannot change. His love for me will never change. He will never leave me. He will never, uh, he will never ever fail me. He won't forsake me. He's got restoration, healing, newness. He makes all things new. 
Wow. I love that. Which hope we have is an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. Man, enter. do you realize you're in the veil? What is that? That's the holy of holies that Jesus entered into. He literally took his blood into the mercy seat, uh, into the holy of holies in heaven, and put his blood on that mercy seat. It is there today. It forever speaks that we are forever cleansed, we are unblameable, we are unaccusable, and we are holy because of what he did. Wow. He sealed that when he put his blood on that mercy seat, it sealed the covenant. It can't be broken. Nothing that you do can ever break it. If you're just living your life for yourself as a Christian, repent because he's so good. Just change. Come back. You're an heir to everything. Verse 20. Whither, or that means where, the forerunner is. For us entered, even Jesus made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek was a type of Christ in his high priestly ministry. But now, verse 6, or I'm sorry, jump over to Hebrews chapter 8 real quick. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6. I'm going a little long. Not compared to Brother Copeland, so I'm doing good. I want to finish with this. But now hath he, Jesus, obtained a more excellent ministry. In other words, the new covenant in Jesus' blood is superior and takes the place of the old covenant in animal blood. By how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant. Part of this Hebrew word better means it's stronger. It not only will heal your body and bless your finances, it changes you. It frees you from spiritual death into life in him. I love that. Established upon better or stronger promises. So now we have been forgiven. We have been cleansed from all sin and made new creatures in Christ. See, we need a mediator because we lost our right standing with God through sin. We had no ground which we could approach him. Sin cannot fellowship with righteousness. Our sin called for judgment, but Jesus took the place. E.W. E. Kenyon says this, and I'll close with this. All the sacrifices under the old covenant were like a promissory note which God cashed in on Calvary. Guys, you are forgiven. You are cleansed. You are made new. You're his child. He's in, covenant with, he's in covenant with you. All that he has and all that he is is yours.